Denver Rubber Company is the most reliable local partner for your long-term projects. Since 1972, Denver Rubber Company has provided the highest quality of products from custom die-cut gaskets, molded rubber, and pretty much any custom contract manufacturing you can think of. And as I watch the snow fall outside my window, they are also your go-to shop for everything snow plows. They can create snow plow blades that are slotted and meet exact specifications for your mounting whatever size you need and they're double-sided so you can get twice the use out of them they are locally owned and you can buy for yourself and of course buy bulk at a fantastic rate be sure to give them a call for any of your snowplow or rubber material needs at 1-800-259-0010 or visit them at drcfirst.com slash dnvr and cole gets another good righty and another right by cole a left by cole this time tipped in front by mika rentinen Shoots and scars! Nathan McKinnon! Call J.T. Comfer! 877 goes now! Gabriel Landeskog! Collective hugs! 29 and 92! Save me by Grubauer! Move over, Picasso! This piece of art is by McKinnon, my goodness gracious! Welcome into the DNVR Avalanche Podcast, presented by Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. They have a massive variety of beers, wines, and liquors for you to try at both of their locations, one in Centennial, one in Highlands Ranch, and you can get pickup from either store as well as delivery. So it's still super easy to get your alcohol, even during these quarantine times. They have a ton of options to Breckenridge Brewery 15-can sampler, one of my personal favorites, but you can keep an eye out for anything you could possibly want. I'm Nathan Rudolph. He's AJ Hayfley. We are a bit calmer now as it stands the following day. (laughs) Yeah. The Avs having won the Stanley Cup the other night as far as our watch-along is concerned. So instead of an emotional mess of a roller coaster of a podcast, we figured we'd actually take a look at Game 7 and kind of work through what happened. Obviously, the easy place to start is Alex Tangay actually going off in this game, involved in all three of the Avs goals, including scoring the first two. He made Broder look like a fool on that first goal. Yeah, uh, the first one was interesting because uh, the Abs finally set up an offensive zone cycle, which is something that they struggled to do all series long. Uh, it was basically a transition goal or nothing for them until that until Tangay's first goal, where they were able to actually uh, they broke up the lines again, uh, and they had high note next to Tangay and Sakic for a lot of that game. Uh, and then Hayduk moved down to be next to Drury. Uh, that way, you know, the Devils couldn't continue to just hard match all their top defensive guys, especially with the way Drury had been going off in the series and Tangay had not. Um, it was it was actually, it was really interesting to see that, you know, some of the X's and O's coming into play because they they finally were able to get away from some of the hard matching. They got a, one good cycle in. 
And in previous games, anytime they that line had started to get us a, a decent possession, they were drawing penalties. And no penalty this time. It was just a nice play from Tangay and got a little bit lucky um, because they, uh, if you watch the replay, uh, Brodeur's stick gets caught in one of the players in front of him as he's yeah. skating through the crease. And that's one of the reasons why Brodeur was kind of falling forward is because he was being pulled from behind a little bit with the stick. And so he let the stick go and all of his momentum went forward. And it's a perfect shot from Tange that would have been a tough save from, from Brodeur anyway. But a little bit of luck on their side on that on that sequence as well. And Tange, I mean, Tange buries it. And just from, just from a, a looking at the series as a whole and how they generated offense, that one stands out. Very rare that yep. they were able to get a goal in that manner. I mean, look at almost all series long, the Avs weren't finding that type of space deep in the zone as Tange comes out from behind the net and just kind of skates into the middle of the ice. So it was, um, it it was a one-off and, you know, in a game seven, this is, this is why they say anything can happen because on any, you know, six games, these things aren't taking place. And then in game seven, they get the opening goal in a way that they had not scored very many in the series. Right. It's the game developed a bit differently than the previous couple outside of Eric Messier's oopsies in the second half of the second period. They have did a pretty good job of staying out of the box until this game was pretty well in hand. Um, So they didn't do the best job of taking advantage of their power plays, especially in that first period, but they got away with it. So, yeah, it, and and then uh, you know the the thing that the intensity of the game yeah. I think was interesting because it wasn't so much physical early on as it was Colorado trying to play more of a skill game. Like they, New Jersey was New Jersey. They did the same thing that they had done all series long. And the abs where it was different was that the abs did not come out with that attitude of we're going to match them check for check. They want to play physical. Let's play physical. Yeah. And I mean, Joe Sackick ruining Scott Stevens along the boards pretty much sums that up in one go as he not an unusual battle, one that had developed across this series and, and Sackick finally got the better of him on one. So, it was nice to see that. Uh, I know a couple of people were tweeting me about it saying that was the moment they knew that the Avs were comfortable in this game. Yeah, and it obviously anytime Sakic is going to do something like that. Um I mean that just that's going to fire up your bench. Your whole team yeah. is going to go nuts for that. But it was really um it was it was really I think it was really important that they did not spend time mucking it up and and, and messing around thing yeah yeah like there's there was there was not a lot of like tough guy routine in that game 7 there was no there was no next game to set a tone for yeah that's true they they went out and they just 
they did not play that kind of like rough and tumble type of game the way that they had early on in the series. But most of the series, they went out and they were like, we want to score. We want to, we, our crowd is amped. We are amped. We want to get out and get the lead. And they jumped on them. They jumped on them well. You know, they had, they had trouble generating a lot of shots, any of that, right? But they, in game seven, they kind of were able to dictate a lot of the play early on. And especially when they got the one nothing lead, it looked like they got very, very comfortable in that game. And they they played. It felt, across the course of the game, it felt far more consistent for the Avs offensively, not these random yeah. spurts. They played, with, they played with confidence. Yeah. You know? Yep. And we did not see them. It, all series long, we talked about how New Jersey was getting in on or was winning the style battle. Colorado was playing New Jersey's game the entire series. And then in game seven, it looked like the abs kind of settled in and kind of, kind of had the attitude that they did in game one a little bit, although they were way more physical early on in game one. Um, But they, they kind of settled in, fed off the crowd and were like, Hey, we're just going to, we're just going to, we're just going to go out and we're just going to score. We're going to generate offense. We're going to get up and down this ice. Yeah. Not going to let the devils stop them basically. And they did so very effectively. You talked about the bit of the line mix-ups, high note assisting on Tangay's first goal, but talk about your big players showing up in the big moments and the abs forwards. Absolutely. Finally in this series came together. Uh, Obviously, Drury had been great all series, and Sakic had his moments. Sakic showed up again after a handful of games without points. Mm-hmm. Tenge showed up huge. Even Hayduk assisting on uh, Sakic's goal in this game. So yep. that your best players are your best players, and when they play well, a team's usually going to win. And the Avs' best players showed up exactly when they needed them to. So, well, and and just as importantly, the Avs' best players showed up at the expense of New Jersey's best players. Right. It was they not were... best players trading punches. It was Colorado's best players winning against New Jersey's best players. And that I think made the big difference there. Yep. 100%. That's how it ended up coming down to, because obviously the Avs scoring depth on the forward side just wasn't there. Uh, all series long, basically. They got some decent points at times, but nothing... You're not going to expect that those guys to score on any given night. And the Devil's kind of a little bit deeper, as we've talked about, but when the Avs can can push them at the top end, they get the lead, and all series long, the team who got the lead pretty much hung on to it. Obviously, the Avs had the one blown game, but even then, that was only a one-goal lead. So scoring that second one, especially for Tangay, was was huge for the Avs. And Patrick Waugh obviously did the job to back him up. But we can talk about that a bit more in the second period, as it's time to acknowledge Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNVR. They have a bunch of awesome flavors that I'm sure I've already told you about. I was sipping on multiple of them during the game whether it be the Avalanche Amber Ale 
or the uh, Vanilla Porter Jr. So win-win there. You can get whatever flavor you want, whether it be a, a raspberry beer, the strawberry sky. They have it all. Highly recommend you check them out. You can go to the farmhouse, get $5 off when you go for pickup and get a meal as well when you use code DNVR. They are open noon to 8 p.m., so be sure to give them a call at 303-803-1380 and get hooked up. Second period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits with Ruto and AJ. I would say this was not a fun series on either side to be a defenseman in Uh, Scott Stevens, absolutely brutal all series long and capping it off with Joe Sackick and the legendary fakes. It takes it call in this game on the other side, uh, Ray Bork got that cup, but he was rough. Did not have a great series. Um, The one New Jersey goal, he got beat in a foot race to a spot. Yep. On a set play that New Jersey ran, I be- I remember at least three times they ran that, that game seven being the third time, and each time was successful to some extent. At least creating a quality chance, yeah. Yeah. They ran it like a handful of times in game four, was it, I think? One of them. It, it was a play they had gone to consistently and had consistently beating the abs so yeah, well the 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 first time that they ran it and they did it uh foot it drew a penalty on foot yeah and this time uh bork was far enough behind that he couldn't even take a penalty right and sakura beat sakura beat wa and which i mean dude peter sakura yeah like really strong second half of that series came on extremely well for yeah hit the post in the uh what last minute or so of the first period yeah, as well 90 seconds left i think yeah, yeah. hits the post uh beats walk cleanly and and boy was that thing loud when they when they did the replay where you could hear the the yep. ping it was a perfect ping it rocketed it off that post and uh it was he was for my money their best their best forward next to probably john madden very different ways of going about their business, those two. But. Yeah, definitely. But Madden, I mean, Madden wreaked havoc on uh, both uh, the penalty kill, which Sakura also did. I think he has a shorthanded goal in the series, uh, at least a shorthanded assist. Um, I, I I forget which goals Sakura scored and which ones Eliash scored and which ones they assisted each other on, but they were always out there together doing work. Um, but Madden was, Madden was also a beast in the series too. Just really hair on fire the entire time. Just totally. He was, he was, he was awesome and way over the line physically at at times, but didn't call it. And that was just, that was the game back then. So, I mean, it looks bad now, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter what it looks like now. As long as you're getting away with it, don't stop. (laughs) Said Matthew Kachuk. Pretty much. Uh, but it was it it was uh, a rough series for for Bork at times where the foot speed got exposed and he did look tired. Uh, as we talked about yesterday, when he lifted up that cup, you could see he was like, "Okay, I did it. I just want to put this down and go to sleep." <laughs> and you know, Stevens. I think Stevens. I think he had a he had a solid series in the games they did well. And yeah, that's fair. I guess, and that's like that's fine. Like, okay, great. Like. 
but when the abs were winning, it was it, like as bad as Colin White looked in this series, especially one on one against Chris Drury. But as bad as Colin White was in this one, you go back and you watch a lot of the goals against, and Scott Stevens getting worked. And yeah. you know when you get worked by Joe Sakic, you kind of live with it. Like it's 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 one thing if Eric Messier is putting the moves on Scott Stevens, but it's Joe Sakic making him look bad. And it's like this is this is why being a defensive defenseman sucks. Because all the good things that you do are forgotten because the one thing that you're supposed to be doing well is not getting beat like that. And you got beat multiple times by one of the best ever. But that that result of that matchup was a decider in that series. Scott Stevens shut down Dallas the year before, and they won the cup. Does not shut down Sackick in this series, and look what happens. Yes, I, when it's Joe Sackick doing it to you, there's a different level there. But Scott Stevens is a Hall of Famer too. Yeah, which is why he got it's it's why he won some of them against you know Sackick disappeared after Game Three. Yeah, but. You know, and that's that's where you say, hey, that's a credit to Bobby Holik and Scott Stevens, um, uh, Niedermeyer, like all those guys, right? Like, that was a, that's a credit to those guys. They did a good job. But Game 7, Sackett got his. So, and that was just, you give them, they gave they gave Colorado one game too many for all of their cats to, to, to line up and figure it out at the yeah. same time. All of all of the big guns for the abs showed up in game seven and the, the opposite was just not true for Jersey. Yeah. That's that's pretty true. They you had know, the chance to at, end this series in game six and they came up short. Yep. And you look at the second goal as a perfect example. Face off win by Sakic, just set play, foot off the glass, gets by Colin White, who's pinching instead of trying to get back and play it safe. Ends up at a two-on-one. Sackick gets uh, grabs that puck, goes pass off the pads. Tangay beats his guy to a spot. Tangay gets a second goal. He's a game seven hero for the rest of his life. Yep. And <clears throat> and that was just Colorado's best players outplaying New Jersey's best players. Got the matchup. Got the situation. Everything. Everything was fine. Sackick wins a faceoff, gets to his spot, gets the puck. Colin White, bad read, great play by foot. Pass off the pads, initial save by Brodeur. Other guy loses the foot race to the spot. Tangay gets it. Like, I mean, it's just Colorado just beat him. Every check mark there, they just made the play. And that was that was the big difference. Colorado's big guns did it. And then, then came the dagger, the fakes it takes it goal. Yep. That's, I mean, that was that was curtains. You knew there was no way Colorado was, was going to blow that game as much as Eric Messier was trying. <laughs> there was no way Colorado was blowing that after they scored that goal. The building went bananas. Everybody knew. Everybody knew it. And the only reason that there was any tension at all in that game was because Eric Messier, with the penalty, they scored. I think it was like 11 seconds into the to the power play Very they scored. Quickly, yeah. And then... Uh, he took another one that they were very lucky. Jason Arnott randomly interfered with somebody and actually got called for it. Yeah. And that was the big difference uh, was that they evened that up. Not to say that it's guaranteed New Jersey scores, but a three, two game with the entire third period to go is a very different look. They 
ended up getting out of the second period up two, and at that point, it was like, okay. There Lock was just down. there was just no way, and I think they only had three or four shots on goal in the third period, and yeah, very low event on the Avs side. And that was once the Avs got to the third with the multi goal lead, it was done. They shut it down. Uh, they weren't trying to play much in the way of offense. They they had some chances. Uh, you know, Sean Podine had a shorthand breakaway, yeah. <laughs> but it was it was more chances of like good fortune than it was like them creating offense, right? Very much a counter attack when the opportunity presents itself type of thing. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's fine. Like when you're up three to one in the seventh game of a of Stanley cup final, I don't care that a team is going to play that way. Well, uh, having that Patrick Wah guy and that helps too. <laughs> like if you're going to turtle, you giving up four shots in the process is a proper way to turtle. Fair enough. Cause you're not really turtling at that point. You're just not letting them inside the offensive zone. Yep. It's the it's the giving up 16 shots on goal where you're just surviving. That's the turtle you don't want. That's the turtle they avoided. Uh, they geared it down, switched it into a low event game, and it was perfect, man. It was it was, it was a perfect. perfect it was a perfect third period for a team closing out a championship uh, to closing out a championship. It was perfect. Hard to argue with that one for sure. I'm looking up and down the Avs lineup here a little bit, and I was a bit surprised to see that Stefan Yell didn't score a single point in this series. That line didn't do anything. Yeah. Uh, Podine, Yell, and uh, Eric Messier just really struggled all the whole series, basically. Yeah, and and it's not... That's a defensive stopper line. You're not putting that line out there to score points. None of those guys did did had prolific offensive careers by any stretch. They For were sure. they were very low scoring players throughout their whole careers. But a job to do, no doubt. And I think I think they were I think to their credit, they did just fine in their in that job. I had a much bigger issue with the fourth line. Um and even they were they won their battle. I mean, Chris Dingman had the hit on Gomez that sparked the foot goal in game yep. six. Yep. Uh, he had another assist. I think Dave Reed had an assist as well. Yep. Um, I think Reinprecht came awfully close to multiple assists on the power play. And, yeah. um, Especially, ooh, especially that pass he made to Drury when Drury was in the middle of the ice early in Game Seven. Yeah, which by the way, Drury was great in Game Seven too, even though he didn't <laughs> get on the board. Right, and the idea that he was traded a few years later, I it blows my mind watching that series. And obviously, there were a lot of other things to consider. Um, I'm not familiar with what their payroll situation looked like. I don't, I don't know, you know, but. Ooh. All right. That's that's ripping out a heart and soul player who also happens to be quite talented. <laughs> yeah, really really good. Yep. Definitely a hard pill to swallow there for sure. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, obviously the result ended up being a great one. So how it gets made is is interesting to dive into, but at the end of the day, W is a W. And the Avs got 16 of them. So 
we will Yahtzee. wrap up the second period here uh, as when you're that good at hockey, when you're in a game seven, sometimes it takes some brass balls. And you want your brass balls to be perfectly manicured to whatever specifications you may desire. And that's where Manscaped can help you. Their new trimmer, the Lawnmower 3.0, is the most advanced trimmer they've ever come out with, with 18 months of work put into it. It has ceramic blades to avoid any accidents or anything like that, and has a bunch of awesome technology in there to shape your jungle, however you might need. Also coming with the ball deodorant. You know what? Maybe you didn't have time to shower today. Manscaped has you covered. Be smelling fresh down there. Get all that. You can get it shipped to you for free, as well as getting 20% off when you use code DNVR20 at manscaped.com. Make sure you're taking care of your balls. Third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by Davidson's with Ruto and AJ. So, Patrick Waugh won the Conn Smythe, obviously the best player in the playoffs. I want to break down, I'm going to call these the Scapey Awards for Manscaped. Nice, the Scapies? The Scapies. There we go. <laughs> uh, who was the best player at each position for the Cup Final Series specifically? Obviously, Patrick Waugh uh, is going to win the goalie battle because Marty Brodeur was straight up bad. Yep. Got beat. So cleanly beat in every category, I believe, by Patrick Waugh. Uh, Waugh, 938 save percentage, made 167 saves, two shutouts in the Stanley Cup finals, uh, only gave up 11 goals in seven games, and three of them coming in, or rather four of them coming in game five. So through the other six games, he only gave up seven goals, which is pretty insane. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think I have anything left to say about Patrick Waugh. <laughs> yeah, you, if mean, you haven't heard AJ's talk about Patrick Waugh after game six, go listen to that podcast. Yeah, Trust me. I think I think I covered it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I. I'm, I'm surprised going back and rewatching this series, how bad Broder was. He was bad. Yeah. There are some, like, especially, like, game six. Yep. Just that Adam Fuckel soft. Yeah. That ain't Ray Bork back there. (laughs) And even Bork's goal when. Was not the best. Yeah. yeah. Like, and yeah, I do wonder if that's a little bit of a product of the time. When on the Bork goal we talked about it, I was like, "Yeah, modern goalie just shrugs the shoulder and makes that save, right?" But yeah. back then, <laughs> goaltending wasn't quite the science that it is now. Yeah, right. Like goaltending is constantly evolving, and goaltending was at its best back then uh, that it had ever been. And now, obviously, we look at it, and it's somebody. Somebody was tweeting me and was like, "Oh, if you put these guys in the league today, would they even have jobs?" And it was like, "Well." You put them in the league today with modern coaching. Right. Had they been raised yes. with the technology, they'd be absurdly good. Right. Like, like I, yes, they would still be awesome goaltenders. Yep. Um, 
if you put them in the league today with their style and the equipment they had back then, like eh, probably not, you know, look at the way that, I mean, how, how much were we, did we see both goalies kick it pucks in yeah. this series, like physically kick it pucks because of the way that they defended the post by backing all the way up into their net and putting yeah. their skates on the goal line uh, versus the, the reverse VH that we say we see goaltenders do now. Where yeah. they seal the they seal that post all the way up and they can push side to side. It's just so much better now. Those situations that get defended where being behind the net was a legitimate threat back then because of the way that goalies were, because of how goalies defended it. It was it was kind of wild, man. It was it was interesting to watch that because of just how they how they went about their business this is why i love the counter tick of the lacrosse goals yeah bringing back a little bit of that uh that wraparound feel where goalies are terrified when there's a player behind their goal just having the player just be dangerous yeah when the the puck is behind the net was is was a different feel 100%. 100%. You know, and for my money, that's one of the reasons why Miko Rantanen is such a handful in today's game uh, is because he's so good back there. He's so good back there, both winning puck battles, shielding defenders from the puck, and passing out in front of the net um, with great hands and vision that that's what makes Miko a monster. Uh, well, one of many reasons, but um. It was just, it was interesting, the goaltending. And then obviously, I mean, Wall was brilliant. The save on Eliash gets lucky with Sakura, gets beat, gets beat by Sakura on the one, but then otherwise was outstanding. Tracked the puck well, did not look flustered, did not suffer from bouts of overconfidence, just dominated. Yeah. That just was shut it thing. down, man. His puck tracking stood out to me so much. Yeah. Like, and. With Francois and Grubauer in the Avs net now, they're good. They're they are solid puck trackers. They're NHL caliber goaltenders. But Wad just seemed to always know where that thing was. Yeah, it was really. It, it also stood out to me watching, especially when you would watch the replays where they had the cameras like above the ice. Yep. Yeah. In sort of like the center, and you could really just watch him watch pucks. And that's one. I think that's the biggest reason I have full confidence he would still be very very dominant today is because the way that he the way that he was reading pucks you give him modern day coaching and he would tear it up right and he tore it up in that series was outstanding um imperfect but outstanding straight up cemented that goat status as you said you said so yeah and um blew away broder and then yep. uh, on the back end, I think there were a handful of defensemen who had solid series. Uh, I liked some of what I saw from Stevens. Um, he wasn't getting straight roasted. Right. Like when he was not getting beat base and it was basically Sackick that was doing it to him. Yeah. It was not, it was not a lot of depth guys that were having their way. It was like Scott Stevens really did. He he did do a good job of shutting down Colorado's offense. Uh, plenty of the time he was out there, it just wasn't quite enough. Yeah. Um, 
I can live with I can live with him getting beat by Sackick, but uh, really, I, th- I thought that the defenseman of the Hall of Fame defenseman in this series, the best was Rob Blake. Two by a lot, I would say. Yeah, yeah. the, the two way play was uh, by far the best. He was very good offensively. He had five or six points in the series. Two um, goals, five points. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So we had five points in the series, and defensively, I mean, we saw him just laying wood left and right, just just hit through guys the way he hit guys man it just it looks so heavy yeah and it feels like we should be seeing that today with big z more than we do it does but also the fact that z gets penalized every time he looks at somebody makes life a little tougher but anyway uh blake was blake was the best defenseman and considering that there were four hall of fame defensemen and yeah. two Hall of Very Good defensemen in Foot and Rafalski in this series. Yeah. I mean, being the best of the group is uh, quite praise, right? Like Sakic, Sakic, maybe being the best forward. Uh, you know that should have happened. He was, he was a Hall of Famer, and there were not a lot of there was not a lot of, there. I, I don't think there were any Hall of Fame forwards on the other side. Despite are not Eliash and Sakura all having very very good careers, I don't think any of them were Hall of Famers. Bun- bunch of Hall of Very Good guys on that team. Oh yeah, forward wise. Well, on b- between both teams, uh, definitely a handful of Hall of Very Good like guys that were stars in their in their generations through their careers. Yep. Even if they weren't superstars, they were star players for sure. Uh. So but but Blake stood out of the Hall of Famers on the back end. Blake stood out the most. Wall was, in my opinion, the best in the series, the best player in the series. Yep. Where Blake, this one gets uh, interesting is at forward. It does. Because Blake played the most of anyone in the series as well. But which jumping no surprise. in, yeah, jumping into the forwards. Um, I AJ and I had talked a little bit about this before. I don't really have an argument against you if you say Joe Sackick. Like, I'm perfectly okay with awarding him the best forward in this series. Mm-hmm. But, man, I really want to give it to Chris Drury. I mean, so Sackick had seven points in the series. Well, I mean, he ended up with nine. Or, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, he's he had... Yeah, uh, three points in the first game. I'm just looking at it. Yeah. And it was, it it was that he didn't score after game two. Right. He had two very big games and then stopped putting the puck in the net. Right. And then went cold and then game seven. Yeah. How much do you weigh that game seven is game seven? And... Chris Drury was like their only offense between games three and six. Yeah, that's the thing is, if you're waiting game seven, you have to put Alex Tangay in the conversation, too. Then he had a three point game seven. Yeah, but he didn't do anything the rest of the series. I agree. So I'm not I'm not putting Alex Tangay in the conversation. I'm comfortable with that. (laughs) I'm, I'm just not I'm I'm not worrying about it. It's it's fine. He did. He did plenty. He did a lot of good stuff uh, in that's in in the playoffs. 
but in that series it was it was really Sackick or Drury. Yeah. That were carrying the the load for sure. Yeah. I I think I'm giving it to Sackick because he was matched up against the absolute tip top. Yeah. All the time. And had a nine had a nine point series in seven games. Like yeah. I, However you like, got there, whatever you did, <laughs> like, you know, it's it's one thing to, uh, you know, uh, okay. He he got there and it looked the way that it did, but with Drury, it was far more consistent. It, the, it was that, I mean, because Drury only has, what, four points in the series? Yeah. He only had four points, but and three of them were goals. Yep, they were all big goals. They were, and that's that's kind of like, you know, I mean, I guess you could say they were big goals, like not getting the first goal in a shutout in game one, but you know, the how big is the goal that that he scored in a game that they lost ultimately? Yeah. I mean, it put him up to one, but yeah, well, it did like at the time it happened was big, but given how everything else went that game, you're just like, well, it was all for nothing. Well, and these are the nitpicks, right? Like how important was Joe Sackick's goal in game seven versus how important was Drury's in a game that didn't matter or, or in a game that the Avs went on to win or whatever. I just, the difference though, I mean, nine points in a series. And games one and seven, they win in large part because of Sackick's offensive contributions. Yeah, that's that's half of them. That's half of the wins that you need to get. That Sackick was, he had multiple points in and was beast mode. You all of the same coin, though. You also have the threat of Chris Jury, which maybe allowed them to open up Sackick a little bit more as they finally did start to switch those lines around at the end of the series. And you, the New Jersey had to respect Drury on the back end to not get blown up by him. And even still, he managed to produce decently. So does Sackick get as much opportunity without a Chris Drury behind him is, is my question. And, I mean, they already took Forsberg, man. Like, right, right. I know. Like, <laughs> at that point, you just keep you keep whacking players uh, from the lineup, and it's like, oh, okay, well, well, uh, this is what the nineteen twenty season has conditioned me to think about. So, <laughs> it's I, I've got to give it to Sackick. He just the numbers are just too they're just too good. And in a game and in game seven, like we talk, Oh, you got to be clutch. You got to do this, right? Be like, you got to be there in the big moments. Game seven, he has, he has a goal and an assist and has an assist. And, and then his goal is like the dagger that like, that seals the game. I'm yeah, like you said, I'm okay with Joe Sackick winning the award. Our Somehow, award. Yeah. Our scapey here. Uh, <laughs> but I still, I know it's weird to say because everyone loved Jury, but I think he got underrated in this series, regardless, because of how consistent his offensive generation was. Sure, maybe the point totals aren't there, but man, every game it felt like opportunities were coming for him. Yeah, and the fact that he had 11 goals in the postseason. Yep. 
had some big goals throughout the entire postseason as yeah. well. So. I mean, it, it stands out where you're like, yes. <laughs> um, so, I do. I did you have a did you have any disagreement with Waff or Con Smythe or was that a layup for you? Nah, that was two shutouts in the cup finals was enough to win well, the Con like, Smythe. You right, have let a, alone. Yeah. This is this is an award for the entire postseason. Right. Of which Waff was absurd throughout all of. Right. Like he was he was very good in the playoffs. Yep. It was not you know, it he had a 934 save percentage and a 1.7 goals against average and four shutouts. Yep. That in the just... postseason. In the postseason, he had four shutouts. Okay. Did the, Abs, <laughs> did the Abs even have four shutouts this year as a team? I think they had three, right? Because <laughs> I remember, I remember Grubauer got one, Frankie got one, and Werner got one. Yep. Yeah, I think that's it. I think they each only got one. So. so, I mean, to just drive home that he was beast. 25% of the Avs wins in this playoffs were shutouts by Wah. There you go. Like, you had to win 16 games, and four of them, he did not give up any goals. And two of those yep. was in the cup finals. Yep. I just, I don't, I, look, Sackick led in scoring, was the highest, highest point guy and goal guy in the postseason, and he was great. But Sackick was, or I'm sorry, Wall was just better. Yep. Just, he just was. He was the best player in the playoffs. He even had an assist. So you can't top that. (laughs) Yeah. That's all I got, AJ. Any final thoughts on this series as we we wrap up our looking back? Uh, Nope. Awesome. So the Azure Stanley Cup champs. Hope y'all are, are celebrating in your quarantines. I know I'm about to go crack another Breck brew as I look outside and, and see all of this snow. We will be taking Friday off from the DNVR watches as far as the abs are concerned, but we will be back on Monday with game 82 against the St. Louis blues a couple of years ago. Always a fun game to watch again. We have some plans, plenty of games that we can watch, but if y'all want to see something specific, please send in your requests. Obviously, depends on availability of games, but if there's something you want to see, we will at least look for it and try to find it for you. So let us know. We're going to get out of here on this one. Also, questions, you guys still seem to want them. So the Friday show will likely be that. Gosh, I forgot. Um, We're already at Friday. Yeah, we're almost to Friday. Uh, days of days of the week are irrelevant these days, so I've been I know. I've been struggling. There's yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and that's it. <laughs> um, well put. Yeah. <laughs> I I stole it from Reddit, so I can't take credit for that one. But either way, we'll be here doing our pods five days a week. You know the drill. Thank you for listening, and talk to you tomorrow.